Good morning. Once again, as J.D. introduced earlier, we have Mike Landry with us this morning. Our staff is out this week traveling, and uh, we're just blessed to have you here, brother. Come and share with us what God has given you to say. Well, it's an honor to be with you this morning, as Brother J.D. has already said. In fact, I was drinking some coffee out there when he introduced me. Uh, I'm Mike Landry, and I work with the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention in church revitalization. I deal with churches that are in a state of decline, and many of them are in desperate, desperate condition. Some of them don't even have a year of viability left. And so uh, that's what I do. I go and as a consultant, I meet with the pastor, their leadership, and honestly, we get refocused on the Great Commission because that's what it's about. You know, in the midst of all that we do as a church, sometimes we lose who it's all about and what it's all about. And so trying to get the church refocused on what it means to be a church, not to just go to church and do church, to become the church and impact their community. And so that's what I do across the state of Texas, and it's a real honor to be here. I have been knowing Ashley and Aaron for a long time I've known I've seen Ashley grow up and I remember them getting married and and uh, I'm friends of the family in fact uh, Dan and Kathy are some if not my dearest friends in the whole world uh, we've worked together we've gone on mission trips together we've laughed together and we've cried together and so this family's dear to me Ashley and Aaron's dear to me all of you know Ashley's the best part of the team I don't even need to say that but I just thought I'd just clear the air I do know the situation, all right? Someone said, Aaron is the, is the brains and the spirituality of the operation. I said, my soul, y'all are in trouble. <laughs> and you can tell Aaron I said that. But anyway, it's good to be here. One thing that Dan asked me, he said, please don't embarrass me because I'm your friend, and so I'm going to do my best not to embarrass Dan and Kathy this morning. But it's an honor to be here. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm not from Texas. I'm a Louisiana boy. I grew up on the bayous of South Louisiana, a town called Jennings, close to Lafayette. How many of you ever watched Swamp People? Those are my people, all right? Uh, that's, uh, I grew up on the bayous of South Louisiana, and those are my people. Of course, with a last name like Landry. Uh, my wife was from North Louisiana. Uh, she grew up in a little town close to Minden. Uh, how many of you ever watched Duck Dynasty? That's her people, all right? So that lets you know who we are <laughs> and where we're coming from. But anyway, it is an honor to be here. We're going to look in the Word of God this morning to Joshua chapter number 3 because I really believe it's going to speak to where we are today in our life, personally, in our family, and in our church. In Joshua chapter number 3, something exciting is about to happen. For 40 years, Israel had wandered in the wilderness on a trip that should have took four day, 40 days. 40 days turned into 40 years because of their lack of trust and their disobedience. And so 40 years, they've traveled the same area. I mean, there's only so much you can do in that small an area for 40 years. And so they'd gone over the same terrain, they've walked the same areas, and now they've come to the Jordan River, and they're going to go into the Promised Land. And they'd never been there. 
You know, they've heard the stories. Uh, for 40 years, they've been anticipating. We need to get back to that place. And so this was a time of new beginning. They were going to go into a journey of the unknown because they've never been there. Joshua chapter 3 begins, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it of about 2,000 cubits, which is about a half a mile, by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. And this is the key. For you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't that what you want to see in your new year? God to do some marvelous and some fantastic things. As we come to the prefaces of a new year, they were coming to the prefaces of a, of a, of a new journey. And, and one, of the, one of the important things to not miss here is the ark. Joshua said, now, I want you to pay attention to the ark because you won't know where to go unless you follow the ark. And the ark was a symbol of everything God is. His presence, His power, His holiness, and, 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 and everything God does. And, and so the ark was a symbol of God. And He said, you must keep your eyes focused on God as you go forward. And, and number one, to know where to go, but number two, to have the confidence that you're not doing this alone. And so they were to space themselves so that they could always have the ark in their focus. When we think about going into a new year, it's important for us to get our focus right and understand that history's history. How many of you in night and two, let's be honest. You know, it's hard for Baptists to be honest, all right? Let's be honest. How many would say 2018, you had some struggles? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many say, boy, listen. I experienced some things last year I didn't think I would have to deal with. How many of you say it was the grandest year? It couldn't have been any better. Raise your hand. God bless you. I want to meet with you after church. I, I need to borrow some money. I just, but, you know, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's been the greatest year possible. And for some, when it is, thank God. Be grateful. But for most of us, there were some challenges in 2018. I want you to understand something. You cannot, neither could Israel. They could not live their life focused on the past. The whole idea was the ark was not behind them, was it? The ark was before them. And their focus had to be on what lied ahead. So many churches, so many families, so many people, you're living life with the baggage and the problems and the situations that are behind, and you're living life looking at your rearview mirror. And I'm going to ask you something. 
How would you like to drive your car and just look through your rearview mirror? Some of you I see probably have done that, and that is not a good thing to do. And so what the focus is, how can we keep the ark before us? How can we, as we begin this new journey in this brand new year, and, 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 and I know that many of us have some, some great goals and some, some New Year's resolutions. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? I, I, looked, on, I looked on the Internet, so this has got to be true. Uh, the top ten New Year's resolutions. Number one, eat healthier. That does not equate into my culture. <laughs> if it ain't fried, we don't eat it. Exercise. That's a terrible word, isn't it? I don't even like to think about exercise. I was checking in a motel. I, I honestly I, I spent a lot of time in a motel. And I checked in the other day, and the lady says, Sir, the exercise room is down over there. And I said, Ma'am, does it look like I care where the exercise room is? <laughs> Show me where the buffet line is. <laughs> exercise was the second one. Lose weight. Well, if you eat right and lose weight, you know. Save money. I'm going to try that. Learn a new skill. That looks good. Quit smoking. Well, I don't smoke, so I already got that one done. <laughs> read more. I would say read more of your Bible would be a good idea. Uh, find a job. <laughs> that would help some families. Uh, Drink less. As Baptists, it means drink not at all. I'm just saying. I just thought I'd throw that out. Uh, spend more time with your family. Those are the top ten resolutions of the, of the world. I think ours at least ought to surpass that, don't you, as we look at a new year about what we want to see accomplished and what we want God to do. But how do we keep that ark before us? Well, you know, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a theologian. That shocks you, don't it? And I did go to college, and, and I passed a few courses while I was there. And, uh, you know, some people graduate, uh, you know, uh, cum laude. I graduated oh lordy. And, uh, but I, simplistically looking at it, how, how can I, in, in, in reality, how can I flesh it out to keep the ark? To keep the focus on God, who He is, His power, and, and to keep my focus straight ahead as I go into this new year, not knowing what's ahead. Now, I'm going to tell you, none of us have an idea of what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us know the, the tragedies that may befall, the things that may happen. Now, God knows, but we don't know. We don't know what a day holds for us. So we don't know what's going to happen in 2019. You know, I told somebody the other day that was talking about doing a 10-year plan. I said, man, I may not be alive in 10 years. So, Because we don't know. So how do we flesh it out? First, we need a guide. When you think about going in a journey or going somewhere you've never been or trying to accomplish something that you've never done, one of the things that you look at if you go to a new place or you go to a new area, and 
you, you get a guide. You get someone who knows what's going on. Now, I want you to understand something that we really have to struggle with. We think we know. Amen? We think we sometimes have the answer. We think with the hope of what's going to happen in 2019, we think that we hold the, the, the cards, we hold the key, we hold the wherewithal to make it happen. And I want to really help you. You don't. You don't have the wherewithal. And even though we do have knowledge, and even though we do have some understanding, we don't know it all. Amen? So I'm asking you as a church, in your family, in your personal Christian life, quit being a teenager. Amen? Have you noticed teenagers think they know it all? Uh, Most Baptists do too. Amen? So it's time for us to realize we don't know it all. We don't have all the answers. And we need a guide. We need someone who knows it all. And I want you to know God knows it all. Nothing's going to happen in 2019 that's going to shock God. God's not in heaven somewhere wringing His hands about the condition of this world. God knows. God has it. And God's in charge. Amen? And trust the guide to guide us through the rocks and the difficulties and the challenges of this new year. Psalms 23, the shepherd's psalm says, The Lord leads us, what? Besides the still waters. And past a righteousness. He even leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and, it, and when we think about that, we're thinking about death, but it's the valley of the death, the fear and the unknown and the uncertainty that surrounds all of that. And the, the great shepherd, our guide, leads us to righteousness, to know what to do, how to do it, and to do it right. He leads us to the place that we can, uh, beside the still waters, where our needs can be met. I'm not an expert on sheep. But I'm going to tell you, Dan, Dan and Kathy, they know sheep. And they used to raise sheep. And, but anyway, I know this. Sheep like still waters to drink from. And the Lord knows what you need. The Lord knows what you need better than what you think you need. He really knows you. He fashioned you. He made you. And He's willing to lead us to the places of provision that are necessary for us. And then He leads us to the the fears, the uncertainties. We need our guide. Now let me tell you our number one job is follow the leader. Amen? How many of you remember being in the first grade? Good, I I really don't. but, (laughs) But you remember playing follow the leader? You know, they'd have somebody, and it was usually the, the, the best student in the class, and, and everybody lined up behind her or him. It was never me. I was never the leader. But anyway, our job was to learn to follow the leader. Well, I want you to know what job one is as you go into this new year in your family, in your personal spiritual life, in this church. Follow your leader. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow His direction. Let Him lead you.
and follow him as he leads. We need a guide. Secondly, we need a manual. We need an instruction book. How many of you at Christmas, when it came time to put together the thing, didn't read the instructions? I'm notoriously bad about that. You know, I get it out, and oh man, listen, this goes here, it goes here. And then I realize for some reason, it doesn't work out. It's not fitting. And then my wife, being the wise person, she said, did you read the instruction book? And I said, I gandered at it. (laughs) And so she'll go back and she'll read word by word. Every little illustration. And she said, did you do step two? I didn't even know there's a step two. And realized that my problem was I missed a step or I didn't follow the instructions. They were there for a reason. Not only was it how to, but to do it in the right sequence. And and it was all important. And and we have a manual. We have a how-to book. How to know what to do, how to do it, and the direction our life ought to be. The Bible says that the the Word of God is a, first it's a lamp into my feet, and then a light into my path. A lamp into my feet was the light for the next step. And the Word of God is here for you today as you take your step today. It is a lamp until my feet as I take the next step so I don't stumble, so I don't hurt myself, so I don't fall. It's a lamp to my feet, but it's also a light to my path. Not only is it good enough for today, but it's going to be good enough for tomorrow. It's going to be good enough for my future as I go down the path of life and go down this path of 2019. The Word of God is the manual. It is their survival guide. It's the how-to book. I hear so many churches say, you know, we're Bible-believing people. And I want you to know, that's not a bad thing. But let me tell you a better concept. A Bible-practicing people. Amen? There's a world of people that will say they believe the Bible but they do not live by it. And I want you to know, and and, and I'm not being unkind, but what good is it to say I believe it if you don't obey it? What good is it to say I believe it if you don't do it? And so instead of the concept of being Bible-believing, let's become Bible-practicing. Let's realize the Bible has the answer for our life, how to rear a family, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to do church how to impact my community, how to live a life that's pleasing to Him and not just pleasing to me. The Bible has the answers for all of these things. It is God's Word for us. It is as relevant today as it's ever been. The Bible says that the Word of God is inspired. It's God's breed. It is God's infallible Word. The Bible teaches us about this Word that it's profitable, it's good for us. It corrects our path. 
It guides us. I have a, I have, I get places with GPS. I have GPS in my wife. Amen. I should never get lost. But GPS says, uh, turn right at the next exit. And, and sometimes I don't for whatever reason. Can't get over, whatever. And then it says, recalculate. I hate when it does that. And, and, and it's what it's saying is, stupid, you were supposed to turn back there. But anyway. And sometimes we have to realize the Word of God corrects us. Because we've got to recalculate. We're doing things that's not right. And it's not working. I want you to know, life will never work. Unless it's according to the Bible. Somebody will write that. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Once in a while, I surprise myself. I come up with a good saying. Life will never work unless it's according to the manual. Life never works unless it's according to Scripture. And sometimes we have to let the Word of God correct us and instruct us and correct us as we go through to make the corrections on the journey so that we can be and do and follow where God wants us to be. Third thing is a companion. Boy, it's hard to be a long ranger, isn't it? We like the concept, especially, you know, and, and, and I work in Texas, and so I'm an honorary Texan. I'm on visa, but I'm, I'm an honorary Texan. And you know what I love about Texas mentality? We can do it. You know, we, we can do it. I mean, we don't need any help. We got this. Just leave us alone. We love the picture of the Long Ranger on his horse. You know, with his hat. Looking Long Ranger-y. You know what I'm talking about? We love that concept. We like it. We pride ourselves in our ability to get it done. In our self sufficiency but I want you to know it doesn't work in real life you can't make it by yourself we need a companion you ever you ever go through a difficult situation maybe a tragedy a trial and you go through it and you're hurt and you grieve but you have a grace and people recognize that, and they ask you, how do you do it? And what do you say? Because of Jesus. Amen? And then you look at people in this world who seemingly goes through some of the same things we do. Honestly, bad things don't only happen to Christians. They happen to all of us. They happen to the whole world, and they go through the same. They have funerals. They get the news that they've got cancer and they're unbelievers. And, and they face these things. And you wonder, like I wonder, how do they survive? And the bottom line is they really don't. Because they don't have who we have. If we are saved, if we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a companion, the Holy Spirit living with us. I want you to know there's some maybe here this morning, you're trying to do life by yourself. 
But when you have Jesus as your Savior and you have a personal relationship with Him, you are never, you are never alone. You have a constant life companion that helps us through life. And you sense His presence when things are tough. Amen? You know, some of you shake your You know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, it's as real as real could be because He's your companion. And I'm going to tell you, don't feel sorry for a believer. Don't feel sorry for a Christian. We've got a companion. I feel sorry for people who face life, the uncertainty, the trials, the difficulties of life, and they're doing it alone. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. You don't have to do it alone. God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to provide salvation, and to be your companion. See, the wonderful thing about salvation is God got me, but I got Him. And I want you to know I got the best end of the deal. And so you don't have to do it alone. We have a companion. Rely on the companion, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, also I think about the companionship, and I'm glad that the Lord is my companion, but I'm glad that I have a church, a body, a family that goes through it with me, that when I'm facing a crisis, they pray for me. They come alongside. They help me. They instruct me. They, they, they lift me up. They love me even when I'm unlovable because that's what family does. They accept me. Aren't you glad for the companionship of the local body, of the local church, the community worship? I love worshiping together. I love singing together. I like singing, period. Now, I'm not very good at it. I, I met the pianist, and she said, I'm your pianist, and it scared me to death because I thought they were wanting me to sing. And I said, you know, I want you to know something. I'm so horrible. When I sing at a stadium football game, the usher comes, taps me on the shoulder, and tells me to hush because I'm throwing everybody off. But I love to, to worship together corporately. I like being united with a body. I understand that I can do far more together than I can do separately. I can impact this world through my giving and, and impact missionaries and, and the mission work that goes on around the world. I can impact the churches that are helped and, and things like Harvey. And I was able to give and, and see that you know, as, as churches and as our convention got alongside, we helped dozens of churches to uh, regather, regroup, refurbish, and do their buildings. And, and we can do that together. We do far more together than we can do separately. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad for the churches that came alongside of the, the uh, First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs. And I... I was allowed to be there for three months right after the shooting to help the church and the pastor. And how churches and Christians responded and, 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 and saw a church that ran 50, 26 people killed that Sunday morning.
and see a church that is now running 150 and 200 with the presence of God like you can't imagine. It's because of God's people joining together, praying, lifting them up. I want you to know, please hear me, we need each other. You don't have to do this alone. The church is much maligned. It's attacked, ridiculed. But can I share with you, Jesus still loves His church. The reason why we are involved in church revitalization because we're absolutely convinced each and every one of these churches are important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they're in some crossroads in West Texas, in the Panhandle down in Houston, in, in some forgotten neighborhood in the urban area, it doesn't matter. They're important to the Lord Jesus Christ because the church is His bride. And His bride needs to be healthy. And he loves the church. And he gave himself for it. And the Bible says he receives glory through what? His church. So I'm glad that I have a companion of the Holy Spirit and Jesus as my Savior. But I also am appreciative of the church. And then of each other. Friendships. <clears throat> small groups. Discipleship programs. It's all about the companionship as you walk this journey of your Christian life. You don't have to do it, and you should never do it alone. Don't go into 2019 as a long ranger. Take good use of your companionship. And then the fourth and final thing. Don't get too excited. Finally, it doesn't mean it's over yet. Said that one time, finally, and this lady started getting a purse together. I said, ma'am, it ain't quite over yet. Keep your purse down. We still got a little time to go. <laughs> your life should have a purpose. What shocks many of us here is we're not here for us. The purpose is not building a bigger personal portfolio. The purpose is not to increase our little kingdom, our purpose is not just for us to be happy or just for us to get what we want. Our purpose is to glorify God and impact the world with the gospel. That's it. Our purpose. You've got to have a purpose. You have to have a purpose for your family. You have to have a purpose for your Christian life. You have to have a purpose for your church. And, and we set goals. And look, man, I, I like goals. I like to set goals. And I have plans. And, 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 and I like to see them come to pass. But it all has to be filtered through the purpose God has for me. It's not about more money. It's not about prestige. It's not about me getting everything I want. It's about doing everything He wants. For His glory, glorify God, and impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes to fulfill my purpose, I've got to look back in the book of Hebrews, and it talks about running a race. It even says that we have a cloud of witnesses, and, and that's been discussed in what it looks like and who they are. They're believers of the past that have died and gone on. I, and, you know, I think so, but I, 
I'm not sure because it doesn't say, but I know there's a cloud of witnesses that watches us as we run the race. And, it's, and one of the key elements is if you want to run the race effectively, you've got to do something. You've got to get rid of something. You've got to get rid of the weights and the sins that are holding you down. Now, I'm, I'm going to confess, I'm not a runner. If you see me running, you call 911. Somebody's trying to get me. I, I don't run. Uh, I do walk some, not a whole lot. That's why God made automobiles. But, uh, you know, I'm not a runner by nature. I, I don't get it. The Bible says only a fool runs when nobody's chasing them. I agree with that. Amen. Now, our executive director is a runner and says, you're taking that out of context. I don't know, but it's working for me. (laughs) But I know if you run a race, I would hate to run a race with somebody like Brother Dan on my back. I'm not saying he weighs, but he does weigh. (laughs) Can you imagine me trying to run a mile with him on my back? I I don't believe I'd go very far. And whatever far I went, boy, it would exhaust me. I need to get rid of that weight. We are running a race, a journey in 2019, and we're carrying baggage. And I hear people say, well, preacher, I got baggage. I'm going to say, why? Why do you have baggage? Why are you loaded down with the baggage and the weight of sin and weights? Whatever the weights look like, the problems, the burden. And and don't you realize the Bible says this, my load is easy and my burden's light? But I look at believers and you look like you're weighed down. You've lost all your joy, you've lost all your happiness, you're going through the Christian life bent over, struggling, Wondering if you can make it the next day. And I don't get it. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, you take my yoke upon me. And you're going to find out my yoke is easy and my burden's light. And then we understand from Scripture, all we have to do to get rid of that weight and that burden, or even that sin, is lay it out an altar. It's finished. Get rid of it. Lord, I've got this burden. Lord, you give to me. You're not big enough to carry it anyway. Give it to me. I've got this sin. I'm struggling with this area. Confess it and give it to me. Because I've already paid for it. This is Satan's lie. You can't experience victory. You're too weak. You can't overcome And the Bible already says you've already overcome by the power of the blood of the Lamb. Read the book of Revelation. You're not praying for victory. Ladies and gentlemen, you already have it. Lay down that burden. That sin that's got a hold of you should not have a hold of you. Understand that we're not dominated by sin, the Bible says, anymore. We're victorious. We're more than conquerors. We are overcomers. So get rid of the weights. Get rid of the baggage. Then sometimes we've got to make some adjustments when we look at the manual. 
And many times we have to just realize, what are we here for? When I deal with churches, I realize we make church very complicated. Never in the history of Christianity has the church had so much, been so much, doing so much, and accomplishing so little. The early church in Acts chapter number 1 had 120 people, total. 120 people. There wasn't even another church across town. There wasn't a convention. There wasn't a fellowship. There wasn't another group of churches. It was only them. And Jesus meets with this group of 120. says, now I want you to go in all the world, and I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if it would have been today, we would have said, is he talking to us? Well, they were the only usins in the building. So I want you to be a witness, and, and I want you to be a witness in Jerusalem. Well, you know, Jerusalem's not a small town, okay? And then I want you to be one in Judea. Whoa. I want you to be one in Samaria. We don't even like those folk. They didn't, did they? And then to the uttermost parts of the world, you're talking about the Roman Empire. They hate us. We hate them. But in 28 years, from Acts chapter number 1, the Word of God had gotten out to the entire known world without even a completed Bible. They only had the Old Testament. The Bible was being written in the first century. Didn't have the printed page. Didn't have any mass transportation. All they had was donkeys and Jerusalem cruisers, which is flip-flops or sandals. You know, the church had no money. Think about it. church had no money. How do you know that? Well, we know the treasurer hung himself. When that happens, you've got a real money problem. They had no building. Nothing. But the power of God and a message and a mandate. And we got that today. The same power the church had in Acts chapter number 1, Acts chapter number 2 is ours. We got the power. We got a message. The same message they had is the same message we have. And I want you to know it still works. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is as powerful today as it's ever been. I want you to know the message, the gospel works. We don't need another message. We just need to realize we got a message. And the message is not how good we are, how great our church is, or how wonderful it is. The message is of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We got the message, and we got a mandate to be a witness. We want our church to do it, but you're the church. Amen? You can't ask your church to do collectively what we're not doing individually. Amen? How are you with the mandate? And I ask this question to churches all across the state of Texas, and, and I get and it gets real quiet. 
when I get real real. Because this is the question. If we've got the message, and we do, and this message is power, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we've got the same power there, why aren't we shaking our communities up? Because we're not doing the mandate. We're not being the witness. And I ask this question. When's the last time you? I'm not talking about your church or staff. You. Talk to someone about Jesus. When's the last time you realized your responsibility, your purpose in life is to be a witness? That you actually talk to someone with the message. Not just invite them in church. That's a good thing. Hey, do that. And when we do church very well, and in other words, we have nice buildings and we have all of this stuff, and, and, and we say, wonder why they don't come. And I'm going to tell you why lost people don't come to church. Nowhere in the Bible does God tell lost people to go to church. He tells God's people to come. But He tells the church to go where they are. Are we being a witness? Because our purpose in life is to be a witness.